This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. The stewardship of money. We've been doing sort of general stewardship sermons uh, this term, but uh, the suggestion was we, we focus a little bit more in on actual giving of money rather than just stewardship in general. So Lewis preached this morning. I was down tonight. Uh, Lewis preached a cracker this morning and I just had to go back and <laughs> have a look at my sermon and think, no, nah, Lewis said that. I don't have to say that again. Uh, or Lewis put it that way. I'm going to change the way I put it. Uh, in some ways, I felt a little bit like all I really needed to do tonight was read the Bible reading and say, look, go home this week and listen to Lewis's sermon this morning because it was a it was a good one which basically was saying similar sorts of things that I'm going to be saying so I'd still encourage you to do that even though you're going to be listening to what I say as well but it wasn't uh, this morning's sermon so much uh, that I had in mind uh, in preparation this week it was a, 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 another sermon that Lewis preached again a, a great sermon it was uh, three Sundays ago um, uh, and again, it was in the morning, um, his red flag sermon. Um, does was any, anyone remember that? A few of, oh, only, only a couple. Okay, well, I'm going to have to tell you a little bit about it because uh, it was a, um, it's a sermon that I've been thinking about ever since. Thanks, Lewis. <laughs> when I should have been preparing for tonight, I'm just thinking about red flags. Okay, so <clears throat> red flags, it's actually a game. You, who knew that it was a game, a card game? Yeah? Okay, so some of you, but only a few of you. Well, those who didn't know it's a game, you're in the same boat as me because I'd never heard of this game before until Lewis preached on that sermon, which he entitled Red Flags, because of this game. Uh, again, it's uh, a sermon I'd encourage you to go and listen to um, on YouTube or uh go to our website, you'll find the, uh, the audio of it there. So I learned about this game. Uh, here's how it goes. I've not played it, so I think I've got it right, but you know, maybe you can correct me afterwards. Um, the game describes itself as the game of terrible dates. Uh, the players take turns being the single person at the table, and they're presented with alternative profiles um, and they have to just select their preferred date out of the ones that are, uh, are given to them. The thing is, uh, each presentation has some positives, some, some great attributes about the possible date, but there's always a red flag that's thrown in, something that's the opposite of positive. Now, it's meant to be a fun game with lots of discussion, lots of interaction, I reckon, as I said, I haven't played, but I reckon it's the sort of game that would also make everyone think about what's important in relationships and what ought to have the highest priority. Anyway, here's, here's an example. So, uh, up there on the left-hand side, uh, three cards. Famous chef, fiercely loyal, but here's the red flag. Recites all the lines from the Titanic in their sleep. Okay, so would you like a date with that person? Or here's the other one. Uh, has an IQ of 170. Owns a yacht. Always forgets their wallet, but always has their ID. Okay, now 
you're going to have to choose one of those. This is like what you have to do in the game. If you would prefer to go on a date with this person, put your hand up. About half a dozen. Who'd like to go on a date with this person instead? And the rest of you don't even want to go on a date, is that right? <laughs> You're quite happy being single. You don't want to go on a date. Okay. Look, I think that was about, that was about even. Uh, what about this one, though? Uh, same here, famous chef, fiercely loyal, recites all the lines from t Titanic in their sleep, has an IQ of 170, always wants to play Monopoly. Okay, who'd, who'd go with the left-hand one? Yeah, about the same number. What about the right-hand one? Oh, not, not very many at all. Okay, there's a few, there's a few. Monopoly isn't actually on any of the cards in this game, red cards. I just snuck it in there uh, because that was one of my favourite games growing up. Uh, going on the reaction that I just got, maybe that's why I didn't get too many dates when I was growing up. I don't, I don't know about that. I used to play with my brothers and my sisters and my cousins with anybody that I could talk into playing it with me or playing it in a group. And, I mean, I loved the game because... I was pretty good at it. Um, some people say it's just luck because it's based on the roll of a dice, uh, but I reckon there's also a fair bit of strategy and skill. I should add um, that I was the oldest child uh, in our family of four kids, and so I did have a bit of an advantage, but I usually won. In fact, almost invariably won. I was always the one who had all the good properties and the most houses and the most hotels. That's why I think it's not just luck. There must be some sort of strategy uh, because I did seem to win quite often. Once they started mortgaging their properties, giving them to me, I knew that it was only a matter of time before they'd lost and I had it all. I would be the overall winner. And I loved it. I loved that feeling. Uh, the others didn't, of course. Um, they usually wanted to give up and finish the game uh, when it was clear that they'd lost. But I always made them play right to the end because, you know, that's what you do, isn't it? You finish the game. I did economics and accounting um, in my first degree after the HSC. Actually, I did economics in the HSC. I went through and did a degree in economics and accounting. And I sometimes wonder uh, the connection there between playing Monopoly <laughs> and my interest in that and then going into the area of accounting and economics. Not quite sure I've got an answer to that, but um, they were both interests. Now, Monopoly is just a game, of course, but unfortunately, um, some people operate that way in real life. Uh, I'm not just talking about sort of real estate or stock market hustlers or swindlers. I'm talking about people with the same kind of attitude that I had playing Monopoly with my brothers and sisters, uh, devoted to accumulating wealth, even at the expense of others. Tonight's Bible reading uh, gives us an example from Jesus' time of some people like that. It's from Luke's Gospel. We've been looking at Luke quite a bit this term. 
this story is from Luke 20, 45 to 47. Then, when the crowd, uh, then with the crowds listening, uh, he turned to his disciples, Jesus that is, turned to his disciples and said, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes, love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honour in the synagogues and the head tables at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. Key bit I want to draw your attention to there. Maybe I should have highlighted it or something. Uh, They cheat widows out of their property. So here we have these religious leaders, the elites. They put on a good show in public, look very religious, very devoted to God. But they're becoming wealthy at the expense of some of the least privileged people in society. Now that doesn't happen today, does it? Well, unfortunately it does. Uh, Just think US televangelists or some of the mega church pastors in the US or Africa uh, seems to come up a lot when you you Google that sort of thing. Um, But even in our own country, peddlers of a prosperity gospel that says God wants us to be rich and material wealth is a sign of God's blessing. And so you give and God will bless. You give to us these people seem to say, and God will bless. Now, uh, this is what I don't need to enlarge on because Lewis this morning gave some disturbing examples in his sermon. So uh, rather than just give you further examples, uh, I'd like us all to think about our own situations tonight. In a wealthy, materialistic society, it's not easy to resist that competitive tendency to want more and more. And to be looking for blessing from God by, is it bribing? I'll use that word. Jesus pointed to a different way. Let me continue on with the reading. So Luke 21, 1 to 4. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Now, this picture describes or or depicts the scene. What a contrast we have between this widow and these scribes, these religious leaders. It's the difference between generosity and religiosity. Uh, between authenticity and the uh, look-at-me hypocrisy of the scribes. She's described as poor, and this is just speculation, but possibly as a result of the actions of the scribes that Jesus was pointing to. She may have been one of their victims, and yet she gives into the uh, temple treasury. She gives just the smallest amount possible, but it's also the largest amount that she can possibly give because it's all she has. 
And that's the attitude of sacrificial giving, of giving over and above duty. It wasn't as though the scribes didn't also bring their offerings as well. Uh, They were experts in the law. Uh, They uh, were committed and did give what the law required, what the law of Moses stipulated. They would have given their tithe, their, their 10%. Uh, elsewhere, Jesus talking about them says that they tied, they tithe even their garden herbs when they picked them by offering 10% of those. So they scrupulously obeyed the law of Moses. But in their legalism, they failed to act justly, robbing widows of their houses. And they failed to even love God sincerely. That reading we just had says that Jesus saw others putting money into the temple treasury too. Wealthy people. And these two are in contrast to the widow. They gave just a little bit of their surplus or maybe a fair bit of their surplus wealth. Jesus said the woman gave more than them all. And... Translators are a little bit uncertain, but uh, it seems that the majority of them think that it probably means that she put in more than all of them put together. Not just more than each individual one, but more than all of them put together. Now, obviously not in absolute terms, but in proportion to what she had. This is where Jesus is so radical What he does here, he measures the significance of the gifts not by the amounts given but by the amounts that they have remaining. I said I'd like us to think about our situations tonight. So who are you most like in your attitude to giving? The scribes? I've given them a pretty hard time tonight, haven't I? I mean, Jesus did. But maybe you detect within yourself, maybe there's a little bit of that kind of attitude with your giving. Yeah, you give, but it's pretty formulaic. It's a bit legalistic. What about the wealthy givers? I mean, they gave quite a lot, but they also had a lot more left over. Maybe, maybe that's your situation. Maybe you've been blessed materially. You've had a good job. You've been well paid, you've got lots, and you you do give. But maybe there's that sense in which you're holding back. Or are you like the widow? That's the contrast Jesus draws, and it's the challenge that he brings to his disciples and the crowd that's listening. Now, I've, um, I've challenged you to think about your circumstances, about your giving, Uh, I've been doing some personal reflection myself in preparation. Let me share just a little bit of this with you. And I want to... um, I've just been thinking about the way my attitude to giving has changed from, you know, maybe when I was your age to to now, quite a few decades. Uh, here's, uh, Here's just a list that I made. I think I probably started out with obedience as my motivation for giving. So my parents would give me pocket money, they would say, you've got to tithe this, give, give 10% into the Sunday school offering. 
and scripture. I mean, I'd read bits of scripture and think, well, yes, tithing. The trouble, I think, with my attitude in giving back then, it was just obedience. There was a legalism to it. Uh, even to the extent of worrying far too much about whether I was supposed to give 10% before the tax was taken out or after the tax was taken out. Could I get away with doing it on the net rather than the gross? And there was not much thought about where it was going. It was all this sort of legalism from fairly early on. But then somewhere along the line... Uh, I wanted to express my thankfulness to God, wanting to give to God as an expression of my thanks to God for all that he had done for me, not necessarily materially, but spiritually, um, sending Jesus, you know, delivering me. But how could I do that? Um, am I giving to God when I give to the church? They were some of the questions I can remember having way back. Uh, there are other ways to give, but there was this sense of wanting to give out of thankfulness. Probably about 10 years ago, I had a, a, a fleeting thought, um, and that's, that's the next bit, an investment. For a long time, I used to think of my offerings as an expense, um, which of course they are in an accounting sense or a bookkeeping sense, but it's not the only way to look at them. I started to think of them as investments rather than expenses and, and it, it gave me a different framework to think about my giving. Investments in the sense that they're investments in the lives of others and in the kingdom of God and that has put a whole different complexion on my thoughts about giving. It's not an expense but an investment that I'm making in the lives of others and in the kingdom. Uh, justice, I'll, I'll hurry on. Uh, how, how can I have so much when others have so little? Um, I heard long ago, I think probably back at uni, that there's enough food in the world for everyone, but people starve because of the inequitable distribution of food in the world. Um, there needs to be global redistribution. I can mentally assent to that, but am I willing to play my part in that? Uh, what difference would I make uh, even if I gave away everything I had? There'd still be world hunger, wouldn't there? But there's this element of justice that is part of my giving now. And generosity. The people I admire most are generous. And those I dislike the most are stingy. And I want to be one of the generous type of people. But apart from that, God and Jesus have been and are so generous in so many ways to us. Becoming more like Jesus, which we, we did that whole series on the Holy Spirit. It's part of the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus includes growing in generosity. I often wonder why generosity isn't in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you've looked at all those, you know the nine of them off by heart, but generosity is not there. Uh, perhaps it's part of love, perhaps it's part of kindness, but I think we are meant to be growing more and more like Jesus in generosity. I guess that's where, where I've been most lately, but as I've thought about it, the trouble with this as a motivation for giving 
if it's just about me being a generous person, is that it's very self-focused, isn't it? It's very inward-looking. It's about me. How can I be a better person? How can I be more like Jesus? How can I grow to be better in character? Well, by becoming generous. But it's not just all about me, is it? About giving. These other things need to be taken into consideration. Now, that list is only roughly chronological. I've tended to jump around and even have a couple of different viewpoints at the same time. Uh, these days, I'm trying to be more holistic, and that's the last point there. I think all these reasons are good ones to give and good motivations for giving. There's an aspect of obedience to giving, I believe. Likewise, there's an aspect of gratefulness, investing spiritually, justice and generosity. They all come into it. I don't think it's one or the other. I don't play Monopoly anymore. Um, so if you do and you love Monopoly, don't, don't ask me. <laughs> you may be able to handle it, but I don't think I can. Uh, when my kids or grandkids have asked me to, I try and divert them to play something else instead. Uh, three main reasons. Uh, it takes so long to play the game, doesn't it? Uh, but also, I've come to dislike uh, the, how it affects the people playing it. Too many tears and bad feelings and fights, at least that was my experience with my brothers and sisters and cousins, probably because I was winning and I rubbed it in, but anyway, that's me. Uh, but the third reason is I don't like what it does to me. It brings out the worst in me. When I was discussing some of this with Pastor Johnny, he told me that the designer of the original game intended it to be anti-capitalist and to be a warning of the dangers of greed and materialism. I'd never heard that, so I did some fact-checking, Johnny. <laughs> I followed it up, and you know what? He's right. I dare to say he's right on the money. Uh, but... In 1903, a woman called Elizabeth Maggie patented a game called the Landlord's Game and later developed it into a board game. Um, on the left-hand side there is her patent uh, from the patents office in the US and on the right is an early version of her Landlord's Game. She was actually a left-wing feminist who wanted her game to reflect and promote her political views. In a political magazine at the time, she wrote, it is a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences. It might well have been called the game of life as it contains all the elements of success and failure in the real world and the object is the same as the human race in general seems to have i.e. the accumulation of wealth. Uh, the game didn't take off in popularity till 1936 and that's when someone else modified her game to make it pro-capitalist. Uh, they changed the name to Monopoly, sold the rights to Parker Brothers who very successfully marketed it. Uh, sorry for the quality of this picture, but it's from an old newspaper uh, of the time. Uh, that's Elizabeth Maggie with a copy of the Landlord's Game and a copy of the new Monopoly game uh, for comparison. 
I said earlier that, um, that Monopoly may seem like just a game, but that some people seem to operate that way in real life. And that is the problem. The Monopoly mentality, whether you play Monopoly or not, um, to have that Monopoly mentality is the problem. The, the mentality of selfishly accumulating more and more without due consideration to others. Uh, Jesus calls us, as I've pointed out, to a very different attitude. He calls us to a different lifestyle, a different priorities. Uh, Jesus gave us a new commandment to love God and to love others, not to love wealth. This new commandment trumps any Old Testament commandment or law about tithing, but it also goes way beyond it. What Jesus taught involves a detachment from material things, a, if you like, a disconnection. Now, we've been preaching all year about reconnecting with, with uh, one another, with God. Next term, where we'll be preaching about reconnecting with our community and the world. But there's also to be a disconnection for followers of Jesus, a disconnect from the love of money. And that's to be evidenced by generous giving to causes that align with the kingdom of God. Now, you don't have to go far to find them. Uh, unfortunately, you don't have to go far to find the opposite as well. Um, <laughs> organisations that don't align with the values of the kingdom of God, but likewise, you don't have to go far to find ones that do. And because I'm preaching here at NVBC tonight, uh, this church is an obvious one. I'm saying that as a bit of an outsider, someone who's only here temporarily. I've come and I've observed, I've watched, I've been part of what happens, and I think I can say that with, with a lot of integrity. Uh, your giving here, um, whether you here or those watching the YouTube clip or listening to the audio, uh, your giving here contributes to uh, keeping all these facilities running, uh, the facilities that you use um, on Sundays and, and sometimes during the week. Uh, your giving contributes to the programs that we run, the, the many programs that we run. They contribute to outreach into our community and overseas, as Johnny was talking about. Um, they also contribute to the employment of the pastors and staff uh, who minister so faithfully here um, as part of the team at NVBC. Now, can you give confidently? knowing that your gifts will be well used. Well, we have a dedicated and gifted elders and board team, board members, uh, who ensure that there's good governance at this church, that money you give is spent wisely in line with our values and vision. We have regular uh, meetings, uh, congregational meetings, where ministry partners, church members, hear financial uh, reports and decide on budget matters. Uh, it's all part of our uh, system of congregational government as, Baptist, as a Baptist church. And so you can be certain that your giving to God through this church is used to further the kingdom of God. And I'd encourage you to do that as God leads you. 
I think this would uh, probably be a good place to end and to take up an, an offering. So could we lock the doors and could the offering stewards come forward with the bags? Just joking. You realised that, didn't you? I had some last before I even finished. I hope you all realised I was joking. Uh, we still are passing round offering bags like we used to pre-COVID, uh, though we will be getting back to doing that as part of our worship service, uh, bringing our offerings, um, bringing them forward, praying for those gifts that are given. Um, now, that doesn't mean you can't give and we can still pray about the gifts that we've given. Uh, I want to do that in just a moment. Uh, but even though we're not passing the bags around like usual, there are other ways to give, as you know. Um, there's the wooden box at the entrance door, um, a little bit different to the one that was in the treasury at the temple in Jesus' day, but the idea is still the same. And, of course, there's other ways to give. Go to our website. You can um, um, give directly to uh, the church's account, direct debit or a transfer, or whatever, whatever you call it, a subscription you can have as well. Um, didn't have those in Jesus' day, but they all work well uh, as a way of you uh, giving to God's work and supporting the work that we do here as a church for the kingdom. However you do it, however much you give, uh, whenever you do it, uh, can I encourage you uh, from tonight's passage to be generous out of thankfulness to our great and generous God and because the need is so great. Let me pray before I hand back over to the worship team. Our Lord God, we want to thank you for your generosity uh, displayed to us in so many different ways and for your blessings upon us, again, shown in so many ways. And Lord, I want to um, give you thanks tonight for the generosity of so many from NVBC uh, who are here currently, who have been here in the past, who have given regularly, who give regularly uh, because they, they want to give thanks to you and because they want to support the work that gives glory to you. So, Lord, I also want to just give thanks for the gifts that have been given even in this past week, um, uh, whether they've been given directly into the account or placed in the offering box or however. Um, Lord, use those gifts for, for your glory. And, Lord, for those of us who have a say in how those gifts are used, how they are spent, uh, whether it's here or uh, with, um, uh, in, with other organisations in our community or whether it's overseas. Lord, we just pray that you'll give us wisdom, uh, give others wisdom too as they use these gifts. Help us all to keep our, our mind on, on you and what you require and your will. Lord, we pray that in that way, uh, our giving will indeed be effective for the kingdom and will truly be a blessing. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. 
To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.